Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, part one of a two-part conversation with two filmmakers who explore the occult and pagan origins of America. And so when they saw that this was a, a new um, a new continent that hasn't been hasn't been touched. This was their their new place to practice freely and openly. And they use it as a safe haven to come over here and practice their dark arts and, and to not be persecuted. And that's where the freedom of religion comes in. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. That's over 350 episodes. To subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Get access to premium episodes or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Monday. Wow, finally some cool weather after nearly 10 days of temps in the high 30s, basically 100 degrees plus. Hoping uh, to get the boys to Brantford later this week for some fishing in the mighty Grand River. They are so excited, and uh, so am I, quite frankly. It's great to go anywhere these days, isn't it? However, fishing during the pandemic, I think, is going to be kind of tricky and kind of awkward when you think about it, because uh, the fish will have to remove their masks before taking the bait. Not sure how that's going to work. Uh, this is, uh, as I say, part one of a two-parter. Wes and Justin Fall are here. Before I get to them, I want to thank all of you who took part in my web conference last Thursday. We had a great time with Jim Elvidge discussing digital consciousness and whether we're living in a simulation. And that was the first of what I hope will be a series of web conferences live on Zoom. Just keep checking the website, strangeplanet.ca, and under the Events and Appearances tab, click on Web Conferences for Updates. Uh, maybe the easier way would be to follow me on Twitter at Richard Serrett or on Instagram Richard underscore Serrett and Facebook Strange Planet Media and I'll be announcing the next web conference soon on social media. The Pagan and Occult Origins of America. Filmmakers Wes and Justin Fall from Fourth Watch Films are standing by to discuss the director's cut of their new documentary Belly of the Beast. Is the United States of America set to fulfill an ancient esoteric prophecy charted by mystics of ages past? For thousands of years, mystery religions and diverse occultists have shrouded prophecies of a great continent of the Western Hemisphere that would become the catalyst of the final world kingdom. This globally sovereign empire would lead the entire world into an age of spiritual enlightenment 
posturing itself as a true utopia while it ushers in a revival of ancient magic rites, as well as a return to the worship of old gods and goddesses. Justin and Wes Fall are veteran researchers and filmmakers specializing in the areas of theology, world religion, the occult, and supernatural paranormal phenomena with a biblical perspective. They're both writers, directors, and producers of Fall Brothers Productions. Justin is the founder and host of the Fourth Watch Radio Network. Their lists of documentary films include The Hollow Earth Chronicles, Higher Entities, The Lost Tapes, and their newest, Belly of the Beast. Justin and Wes Fall, how are you gentlemen? Can you hear us? I can. Is that you, Justin, or is that Wes I'm, I'm talking to? Uh, this is Justin, and Wes hey, is here Justin. Too. Hey, Richard, I'm sitting over here too, man. So, let's talk about Belly of the Beast. This is the director's cut. Uh, When did this come out, and and what's new in the director's cut? The director's cut uh, basically allowed us to get the final edit the way that that we had planned on doing it. Uh, We had come into a a little bit of a time constraint uh, with our initial contract, and so we released the the original version in uh, late 2018, uh, and then we've done the updated version, and we basically had a chance to get everything done. operating the way we wanted to and uh, get our final director's uh, touches on that, including the original artwork that did not make it on the first project. All right. And we'll tell folks how to get a copy of that um, throughout the program. First, let's talk about these mystery religions. We hear about mystery schools, mystery religions, you know, coming out of Egypt. Just spend a few moments explaining what they were actually. Basically, uh, the mystery religions, uh, what, what a lot of times people call the Babylonian mystery schools, uh, they are all these different secret society groups uh, that pretty much date back to the Tower of Babel. They date back to Babylon. Uh, and obviously, from there, you find out that a lot of things uh, you know, that we have today, uh, they have been shaped from Egyptian mythology. You've got Greek mythology, uh, the Romans. Uh, these things have literally morphed over the years. Uh, they've maintained the same languages and the rituals that have been passed down. And so uh, we, we generally call them the Babylonian mystery schools because these are the esoteric or the occultic practices uh, that were very prevalent in the old world uh, system known as the Babylon system. Right. And they, they were worshiping uh, essentially what, fallen angels? It's, it's our belief that the gods of old are, in fact, the fallen angels. Uh, when we get to uh, this very peculiar passage in Psalm, in the book of Psalms, we find out about this thing called the divine council. Matter of fact, a colleague of ours has done a great deal of work on this, uh, Michael Heiser. Uh, he's been yes. on Coast to Coast you know, talking about that. Uh, but with the divine council, you're dealing with 72 entities that were set up with very specific purposes. Uh, it was a government, if you will. And these are uh, the, the entities that fell from God. Uh, they literally uh, began to take worship. They began to set up systems of their own, uh, sharing the, the technologies of heaven, sharing the, the technologies that we read about in the book of Enoch. Uh, they began to share these things with mankind. And so in that, that's where we get uh, what we call world religion today. Uh, most people don't realize that a lot of the, the world religions date directly back to uh, the worship of those divine beings. So, yes, go ahead, Wes. You wanted to jump in. Well, yeah, I was just going to add that. <clears throat> excuse me. That that passage in Psalms, I believe it's 82, it parallels with another passage in Deuteronomy. And what you had at Babel 
when God, he, he came down, I mean, he, he said that if he would have let them continue, there was nothing that could have, that they would, wouldn't be able to do. And so God, um, he came down, he, he, he smote them and he separated them, confused their languages. And, um, and none of that was, it wasn't time. And we're going to, we can get back into this, that um, we're now approaching that it's, it's the same agenda that was taking place back then for a one world system. Um, now we're coming full circle to see it, to, to see it go through. But um, what I was going to add to that was that when, when God came down, he, uh, in that passage in Deuteronomy, he put the 72 or the 70, depending on which translation you go to, um, these sons of God, he put them, he accounted the, uh, the nations to them after he disinherited them. So that adds a little bit extra um, information to the whole picture that we're looking at. The The interesting thing with the Divine Council is also that we see this number 72 come up in the apotheosis of George Washington. We also see it, and when we get into the um, the raising of Osiris ritual, um, Set actually, the evil brother Set actually had the 72 cosmocraters that he conspired with to right. to. You know, to go after uh, his brother Osiris. Right. And we will get back to the apotheosis of George Washington, what that means. But let me uh, just back up here a moment and, and talk about the, I guess, the the prophecy of that this, the, the seat, if you will, or worldwide headquarters of uh, this occult religion or pagan religion would be moved to this new world. And keeping in mind, this was, you know, before... Uh, the Western Hemisphere was was presumably known about, but it was predicted that there was going to be discovered this, I, I believe they referred to it as a blessed continent. Was it Aristotle or Plato? Someone referred to this blessed continent. Tell me about that. Yeah, so Plato is who you're referring to there. Plato uh, was very well known in the old world for encoding these ideas in his writings. And the people who were the esoteric scholars of his day and, and, and they continued to follow uh, in that path, uh, they're very familiar. They've been very familiar with these prophecies that Plato wrote. And uh, furthermore, uh, what was very interesting is that the Greek biographer Plutarch had actually documented the fact that there were voyages that, that made it to our shores, I mean, we're talking about way, way before Christopher Columbus, way before the Native Americans. Um, We have evidence that even the Egyptians made it to the Grand Canyon. Uh, And I know that sounds crazy, uh, but there's parts of the Grand Canyon that are completely cordoned off. You can't even get to them. Most people don't even know they exist because the government has come in there. They've set up barricades. They've created damage control. But Plutarch documented uh, that the ancient Greeks made it here. They, they were able to chart some of the land out. They made it to some of the Great Lakes. Uh, but the interesting prophecy, the prophecy says that there's going to be a great continent that was going to be blessed. It was going to raise up in the last days and that it was going to be the major continent located in the Western Hemisphere. And the idea was that this continent was going to be the birth of a new world order. Okay, This was going to be an age of enlightenment that was going to come upon the world. And this continent that we call America was going to be a very special continent that would be a beacon of light to the rest of the world. That's essentially what the prophecies of Plato explain, if you know how to read them. And this idea of America being a beacon of light to the rest of the world. It was also based on the fact that America – and keep in mind, these are thousands of years old, okay? These are some old prophecies. They believed that America was going to literally uh, set up an experiment known as the Democratic Commonwealth and that they were going to be utilizing democracy 
around the globe. Now, that's what the old prophecies say. What's crazy about that is here we are today in 2020, and America is a well-known for being the nation that polices the world with democracy. And that's only one of the aspects uh, that have been fulfilled. But you get a little further down the road and you find out that uh, Sir Francis Bacon, who wrote the, the book The New Atlantis, uh, you know, we believe that Francis Bacon was uh, the same the same person as William Shakespeare, by the way. Uh, but that's that's just a little side note. Uh, Bacon wrote The New Atlantis. Not the and, Earl of Oxford, not the 17th Earl of Oxford. You believe it was Bacon. OK, that's all right. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> we'll, have, it's to, funny we'll because, have to disagree on that one. I'll have to disagree on that one. However, no, it's an interesting I don't want to get sidetracked, but. Uh, no, yeah, absolutely. I, I throw that in there because it's kind of a funny thing. A lot of people debate who Francis Bacon really was. Uh, but what we do know for a fact uh, is that he, he penned The New Atlantis and The New Atlantis has been continually being fulfilled by United States of America. Like the things that were written about there, the way things are set up here, uh, and it was basically acting on an ancient hope. You know, the, 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 these ancient hopes that were uh, prominent with Egyptology. You, you go back and study the religions of Egypt, and you're going to find out that they are literally interwoven into the fabric of the United States of America. Uh, just as a little we'll, side. Yes, as we'll discover once we take a little tour of, of the uh, the mall in Washington, the uh, the obelisk that is the Washington Monument, and of course, the domed um, uh, the domed Capitol building. Um, but, but, and we, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, Can I make a quick? Uh, I just want to make a quick note yes. on the Western Hemisphere. Uh, this yes. is just kind of a uh, kind of a cool little nugget. Uh, if you notice, a lot of the old maps are basically just broken down with two circles. Now, not all of right, them, right, But you'll right. notice a lot of the old maps, and basically, you got the Western Hemisphere on the left, and then you got everything else on the right. And <laughs> it's fascinating because the, the map makers and the charters of the old world they knew that there was something about this Western Hemisphere. There was so much built around this Western Hemisphere in the New World. And that's another reason that I believe uh, that there has been so many conspiracies to try to hide our history. You know, they try to tell us about Christopher Columbus. They try to tell us the natives were here first. Uh, but our history has been retold over and over. And it makes a lot of sense because the people who are controlling the narratives – are the very people that have maintained the secret societies and rituals secretly over the years, and they're the same people who are still running this nation today. Right. Uh, it, it appears Columbus wasn't first. He may have been last. Uh, in fact, I, I seem to recall uh, one of my guests uh, telling me about the Bronze Age uh, that that uh, happened in the, the old world. Uh, there wasn't enough copper in Europe to have supplied uh, that in, in, in essential ingredient for, for, for bronze. And there was a, a gigantic copper mining operation on the, I believe it was the, uh, the south shore of Lake Superior uh, that they've uncovered. And I'm, I'm, you'll have to give me a time frame here when the Bronze Age was, but it was obviously, uh, you know, um, before the Common Era. So... It looked or it sounds like even maybe even the Minoans, the Phoenicians, uh, the ancient Egyptians were all over here, perhaps mining copper. What do you think of that? 
I think there's some truth to that. Uh, there's definitely some potential because, uh, as we've already stated, that Plutarch docu- Plutarch uh, is on record uh, documenting that the ancient Greeks uh, had made it to the Great Lakes area. So I think there's definitely some plausibility there just, mm-hmm. just in that aspect alone. Uh, but even further than that, when you start studying out the, uh, the areas in the Grand Canyon, uh, there are – there are temples that some of my sources have told me there are temples that have been carved into the rocks, almost like what you see with Petra over in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they are Egyptian temples that have been carved into the rocks. Uh, you can't just go over there and see those things. So I, I really think that this is all tying together. I think the secret societies uh, are the ones that control all of that, meaning that those temples that are carved in the rocks, they use those things privately for their their Egyptian rituals. As we're going to talk about tonight, a lot of the magic that we see today um, in politics, uh, what we would, I mean, literally magic rituals that are taking place in D.C., they date back to the old world. That's, that's so important that we knock that out of the park because people have to understand, Richard, that rituals are the phone numbers to reach the other side. And they have to be done specifically to get specific results. So let's talk about the the founding then of the United States. And we've always, I've certainly um, always believed that, that it was predicated upon Christian Judeo traditions. Uh, and then, in fact, Western civilization is built upon a Judeo-Christian civ- um, um, values. Uh and yet we have, I believe, 44 of the 55 uh, framers of the Constitution and the uh, sign, uh, signatories to the Declaration of Independence were Freemasons. So does that mean that, that the Freemasons, uh, they had it in their mind from the very beginning that the United States was to be uh, – Based upon these mystery mystery religions, this Babylon mystery religion. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I, Wes will break some of that down here in just a second. I just want to comment to say that the foundation of this new world, this new system, uh, these guys who were part of the Freemasons, uh, they were not just low level Masons. They were literally these men knew about the destiny that was spoken of and prophesied even about this nation. Uh, Again, we're we're dealing with people who have been raised in the craft. They're familiar with the history of the craft. Uh, They're familiar with what the Sibylline prophecies are. uh, And those are things that we talk about in the film, Uh, the the prophecies of Apollo rising up in the last day. Uh, And again, Apollo and Osiris, it's the same entity. uh, It's just in different cultures. But the founders of this nation, by majority, the one uh, we're not just dealing with Masons either. We're also dealing with Hellfire Club. We're dealing with Rosicrucians. Uh, we're, I mean, we're dealing with a whole lot of, of secret societies here. But they have maintained the old prophecies that this was going to be that Western Hemisphere beacon of light. Furthermore, uh, you can see that when you find out that this whole nation was built upon an old vision. For the Novus Ordo Seclorum, uh, which is on our dollar bill, by the way, which in, in Latin means the new order of the ages. Okay, so let me just mention a couple of founding fathers. We're coming up on a break here, and we'll 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 begin this discussion now. And I know Wes wants to jump in, and we'll we'll continue after the break. But Thomas Jefferson, for example, uh, Jefferson was considered a deist, although he 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 often referred to. 
the importance of Jesus Christ as one of the great moral teachers. Um, so how do we square square sort of the 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 Masonic Thomas Jefferson with someone who had great reverence for well, he didn't consider him to be the son of God, but you know certainly Christians do, but yet he had great reverence for Jesus Christ. That doesn't sort of square with someone who's kind of a Luciferian. Well, generally speaking, in, in the occult, you're going to find that a lot of people will say that Jesus Christ is one of the ascended masters. Uh, they say that based on the fact that they've never really studied the Bible. They've never really studied the teachings of Jesus specifically. Uh, and so he kind of gets balled into one of the ascended masters, uh, which is very common with New Age thought and even Hinduism. Uh, in Hinduism, they look at Jesus very similarly, uh, depending on who you talk to. Uh, but uh, Jefferson very much hated the Bible. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that he's written against the Bible. Matter of fact, he, he ripped up a Bible and stitched it together after he took out the parts that he didn't like. Uh, they sell his version of the Bible in Washington, D.C. at the uh, at the gift shop. <laughs> ah, interesting. Interesting. And, and uh, George Washington. Uh, Washington was ostensibly an Anglican, although he would um, he would visit different churches of different denominations. Sometimes he would attend a, a, a Quaker's church. Sometimes he would attend a, a Presbyterian service. Uh, it is said, you know, during the, the War of Independence, uh, because they didn't have a chaplain, he would lead his troops in prayer and so forth. What do you make of that? Uh, he wasn't praying to the God of the Bible. Uh, George Washington is on record at the Library of Congress. Uh, people may wonder where we get a lot of our information. Uh, you can vet this stuff if you take the time to study it at the Library of Congress, which you know we've done. Uh, there are letters between uh, I forget I forget the man's name. One of Washington's pastors. Uh, I, I, we did not include this in the film because it's a side note, but he does go on record to say that he's talked with Washington over and over. Washington does not accept Jesus Christ. He's a deist. Uh, he was basically attending church for political connections and because he was the president, it was for it was for appearances, kind of like what we see today. A lot of you know presidents, they want to get the evangelical vote. However, Washington was very much involved in the craft uh, of Freemasonry. Now, just to be clear, there is a Judeo-Christian underpinning to the United States uh, from the beginning as well. But the two, the occultic pagan side and the Judeo-Christian side, have sort of coexisted and there is this tension. So you're not saying that the United States is a, you know, a Luciferian country. There, there are two factions sort of at battle here, correct? Exactly. Yeah, we. that's one of the things that we want to kind of give a disclaimer whenever we do interviews. We love this country. We're thankful for it. We're thankful for God allowing us to live here. We couldn't, honestly, I don't know if any other country in the world I'd prefer to live in. Um, unfortunately, you know, there's some, some trials and things that are taking place right now that we have to get through. But yeah, we're by no means are we saying that, um, you know, that God hasn't blessed this country and, and done things here. Um, but we, we just wanted to, with the film and the research that we're doing, um, you know, yes, there are the, the Puritans were here and God was doing a move in the founding of this country. But at the same time, there was like you were mentioning, you know, from the film, it's, it's like a, it's a paradox in America. And so you do have that occult, you know, um, underlying that's taking place and still continuing to take place. But at the same time, um, you know, God's plan is still intact. And so we're, we're, we're covered as far as that goes. The, um, 
the film points out that with with our investigation into occultism and looking at the time period of you know, the founding of the country, that occultism was spreading. Uh, it was spreading wildly and, and all over the world. But they they had to practice, you know, they, they practiced their arts and secrecy because there was persecution. They would actually put people to death for these things. And so when they saw that this was a, a new um, a new continent that hasn't been hasn't been touched this was their their new place to practice freely and openly and they use it as a safe haven to come over here and practice their dark arts and and to not be persecuted and that's where the freedom of religion comes in and so a lot of people think you know that and we were raised to believe the same thing that america was founded on christian principles we you know everybody's seen the david barton films um, but we got to a point where our research was actually contradicting that. And I mean, it was it was questions, too, because we you visit D.C. and it's like, well, you know, I don't really see crosses here. I don't see scripture here. I don't see anything for uh, for the apostles or for the disciples or anything. It, it really feels like you're walking through Rome. And so with all that, we had a lot of questions that needed to be answered. And and coming to find out, we we realized that the the freedom of religion was actually a protection it was a cloak for the occult to be able to practice freely over here without persecution. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, specifically to protect Christianity from being persecuted. More of my conversation with Wes and Justin Fall when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. So this is creepy. A few weeks ago, I was on email with a friend and we were talking about my boys taking tennis lessons. And the next thing you know, I start receiving Google ads for tennis equipment. You can't tell me that's a coincidence. We're really exposing ourselves, making ourselves so vulnerable, especially when we're on public Wi-Fi. So it's never been more important to take steps to keep our data and emails private. But let's face it, finding an email provider that can guarantee privacy is a challenge. Let me make this real simple and stress-free. Proton Mail is a private email solution that offers end-to-end encryption. That means nobody can read your emails or sell your personal information to advertisers. Proton is based in Switzerland. They take privacy very, very seriously in Switzerland, folks. In fact, they have some of the world's strongest privacy laws. Here's another cool thing about Proton. All of their apps are open source, which means more flexibility for the user. And Proton is funded by you and me and their community of users. So there's no revenue from ad sales. I love Proton's philosophy, people over profits. Click on the link in the episode notes or go to protonmail.com slash unlimited protonmail.com slash unlimited secure your communications with proton mail the truth goes through three stages first it is ridiculed then it is violently opposed Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again, what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Filmmakers Wes and Justin Fall are here and we're discussing the occult and pagan origins of America. So let's talk about then the the formation of 
the Capitol, Washington, D.C., which now, if memory serves from the film, you mentioned Sir Francis Bacon. Did did Bacon not believe did, didn't he believe specifically that Washington, the Washington, D.C. area may have been the location of uh, of Atlantis? Uh, my understanding is that he believed that the the continent of North America, ah, the whole continent, okay, the continent of North America. Uh, but I, I want to add something to that. Uh, most people don't realize where the name America comes from, and I think it's important to go ahead and get this out there. Yes, um, you know we we have all of these really weird fa- uh, fairy tales, fables that we've been taught in school. You know, everything from Amerigo Vespucci to uh, you know, I mean, just so many, so many funny stories. Um, but in reality, the name America is made up of a root word, uh, Amaru. Amaru, depending on where you are, how you say it, it's uh, A-M-A-R-U. And that is the name of the plumed serpent god. Now, in Peru, they call him Amaru. Uh, in Quiche, they call him Gucamatz. In Mexico, the same god is refer- uh, referenced as Quetzalcoatl. Right. And it's ironic that these are all Western Hemisphere places worshiping the same god under different names and so the name america literally means uh, if you break it down it's amaruka amaruka which is literally the land of the plumed serpent so when you think about the fact that this god was worshipped the luciferian god of freemasonry was already being worshipped in this area on this land before the native americans got here and you say well how do you know that because we have evidence from De- uh, DeWitt Clinton, who was at the time uh, – he was the head of the New York uh, Historical Society, and he specifically said – now, he was also the governor, by the way, of New right. York uh, in 1811. Uh, so he wasn't just the head of the New York uh, Historical Society. Uh, but he said that they have found fortifications, ancient fortifications on our land that give definite evidence that there was an advanced civilization here exceeding that of the Indians – and so we find out that there was this highly, very likely advanced technology going on on this continent based on some of the findings that we've looked into. And the symbols of Freemasonry that we see today have been found on artifacts, Richard, artifacts dating back before the Native Americans got here. And so we believe that there were ancient forms of Freemasonry taking place on this land that – got taught to the Native Americans because we also find those same symbols and the same types of brotherhoods among Native Americans, which we broke down in the film. Uh, But we find some very interesting artifacts from the Native Americans that these symbols have nothing to do with their their tribes. These symbols are literally direct links to the god of Freemasonry. So can you give me an example? So like, for example, would you find the the, the Masonic uh, uh, compass – Yes. Okay. So uh, on, on the compass. A, yeah. They call that the square and compass. Uh, you'll find the square and compass. As a matter of fact, we show uh, images from the old New York uh, Historical Society. Uh, we, we we really man, we hit we hit a gold mine uh, finding some of these ancient Masonic relics uh, from this nation. Uh, but yeah, the square and compass. You also have uh, the star and the crescent moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the pentagram. A lot of people don't realize that the pentagram is kind of a, a major player in, in various forms of occultism, not just not just uh, you know regular witchcraft or traditional witchcraft. Uh, but what's interesting is that you find these medals, and then we also have pictures of some of the, the Indian chiefs that were wearing these medals as necklaces. And while they don't claim to have Freemasonry in their 
you know, in their tribes and in their practices, what they believed and what they did line right up with the Freemasonic religion once you get up to the higher degrees. The way that they met in lodges, the way that they did their rituals, they called on the old gods. Uh, so, yeah, it's very interesting to, to think about what a principality is. And the principality of this land, which basically the entity that's over this land, would be Amaru, the, the, the plume serpent god. And when you get up to the 32nd degree of Freemasonry and you start studying out the writings of Albert Pike, you find out that the god of Freemasonry is, in fact, Lucifer. I've always been somewhat conflicted by that. Uh, I mean, I, I've I've certainly heard that 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 uh, Pike was a Luciferian, uh, but then I've also uh, I've had people on the program who not defending uh, necessary El- necessarily Albert Pike because he was, um, you know, involved in the the KKK and he was certainly pro slavery. Although he had a great affinity for for the North American Indian, and as a lawyer, he defended them all the way up, I think, to the Supreme Court for some of their land disputes because he believed, I guess, that the the Knights Templar. Uh, had been over to North America and, and had set up uh, a number of sort of treaties with uh, with the Native Americans, and this is this is again, you know, centuries before Columbus. Um, but I've been told that that is considered the lie that will not die. That Albert Pike was a Luciferian, uh, and that in fact, if you want, if you want to hear yeah. it though, if you want to hear it out of his own, sure, yes, please. I believe Wes is saying that he believes it's chapter 19 in Morals and Dogma. Uh, There's multiple references there uh, where he says that Lucifer is the supreme God. All right. I'll have to take your word for it. I mean, and again, I don't know. I'm just uh, I'm just trying to get to the the truth here. All right. So but 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 let's let's be let's just be fair for a second. And I'm not going to try to act like that's okay. In my opinion, it's not okay. But here's the thing. When somebody is in the craft at that high of a degree, they really believe what they're doing is right. They believe that what they're doing is just. I mean, he is just as much thinking that Lucifer is the good guy that I think that Jesus is the good guy. Like his his devotion to the craft is just as much as mine is to Christianity. And so, you know, in his eyes, it's not a bad thing. Uh, so I, I think it's important as a researcher to be able to see that there's people out there with different views and they believe their views are just as right as I believe about mine. Uh, Wes, did you – I think you found the passage from Morals and Dogma? Um, I did. I was able to find the, the quote that, uh, that most people lean to on the Albert okay. Pike, and that was um, – it's uh, from Morals and Dogma and saying that it's page 321. Uh, Lucifer the light bearer, strange and mysterious, uh, mysterious name to give to the spirit of darkness. Lucifer the son of the morning. It is he who bears the light and with its splendor and tolerable blinds feeble, sensual, or selfish souls. Doubt it not. Right. Okay. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's pretty clear. Um, you know, they have his body. His body is actually behind a wall at the Herodome. While we were walking through the, the Herodome, the Masonic Temple of D.C., uh, the guy told us that right behind this stone wall was his body laying in state. Right. And if memory serves, he at that time was the only – Person buried within, I guess, what were at that time the the the, the proper city limits of Washington D.C., mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. I, I guess that speaks to his influence and power. 
And um, let's uh, also, you made a really interesting comment before the break. I just want to commend you on, on what you said about him, uh, you know, fighting for the Native Americans. Uh, that's even further evidence that they were part of the same type of craft. Even, you know, there we're talking hundreds of years prior to Albert Pike's existence, uh, but he was very much aware. Uh, and, and I'll take it a step further. Manly P. Hall, another prevalent Mason uh, and theosophist, he also says that the rights of the Native Americans – are very important to understanding the craft. I mean, these are things that you just can't make up. So when you find out that there are connections with the the, the religion behind the Freemasons and the Native American Indians, not all of the, the Indians, by the way, but, but a, a good portion of them, it makes sense why Albert Pike had an investment there. Right, right. And then there's apparently this whole history, where, again, with the, the Knights Templar, uh, mm-hmm. who came over after being chased out of Europe. Uh, presumably with their their Templar treasure. Uh, Now, I want to talk about the Hellfire Club. You mentioned that as one of the secret societies. And uh, Benjamin Franklin, uh, interesting character, was reportedly a, uh, well, I don't think there's any doubt he was a member. And this was was in London, I believe, uh, the Hellfire Club. Uh, And he, this was prior, I guess, to the American Revolution, was it not, that he was a member over there? They said that uh, they had excavated one of his estates, and they found out that there was a whole lot of remains of women and children and animals that appeared to have been uh, sacrificed in rituals and burned. And this was at uh, one of Benjamin Franklin's estates. Uh, This information was given to us while we were setting out to work on Belly of the Beast. So we were just getting into the research, and we find out that Benjamin Franklin, uh, you know, basically bodies were crying out from the grave uh, in his old estate. Wow. Talk about skeletons in the closet. My word. The Hellfire (laughs) Club was, well, it obviously the Hellfire Club predates Aleister Crowley, but it kind of, I guess they would have been simpatico. The whole idea of the Hellfire Club was, you know, do what, do what you want. That's the whole of the law, right? Like it was about, it was about, uh, enjoying, um, um, all the sensual pleasures of this earth. Correct. And then some to the extreme. Yeah, they were very well known, uh, and they also went by another name, the Knights of Memmingham, and uh, there's actually a book about that. Uh, There's a couple names they went by, but what's fascinating is that a lot of the rituals that they partook – uh, they they were involved in some very very heavy decadence, uh, and some of the rituals that they were involved in were ancient Babylonian sex magic rituals uh, that could only be carried out in same sex environments. Uh, these were another reason why these things had to be done secretly back then. Uh, you know, you you get caught doing same sex rituals uh, back in those days, and you get you get finished pretty quick. And so right. that was another thing that they were uh, very well known for uh, with the Hellfire Club. Okay, so let's let's talk about the uh, the layout uh, of Washington D.C. and um, walk us through. I guess it was Thomas Jefferson that ultimately hired the uh, sort of the principal architect firm, architecture firm that that uh, constructed a lot of the monuments in Washington. Tell me about that. Yeah, you can go to the the uh, it's called the most approved plan. On um, what's the website? Library of, Library of Congress website. Sorry about that. It's called the Most Approved Plan, and um, and you'll find out that Thomas Jefferson was he was shepherding this plan. Um, he put out different bids so that different people could come in and you know try to try to make the best out of uh, their ideas. But he wanted an idea. His idea was to recreate the Roman Pantheon, and that is dedicated to all pagan gods. He wanted that to be used. 
Um, he also, uh, the, the capital city is named after Capitoline. Um, so you have, um, or the, the Capitoline is, it was in Rome, right? Did yeah, that's know? right. That's correct. And so, um, so Jefferson wanted to do that. He wanted to pay homage to all the pagan gods and goddesses and have it, um, have a new, you know, a new place here. So you'll, you'll notice that a lot of this, the architecture in DC, it's, it, it's very reminiscent of your, um, your Greek and your Roman, um, temples. And there's even many of them are actually called, you know, temples. Thomas Jefferson, uh, his, his vision for the capital uh, was that it would mirror, I guess, ancient Rome, ancient Greece, if you will. And we can certainly see it is magnificent uh, uh, architecture. There's no question. Uh, I, I'm uh, always uh, just in absolute awe when I, when I visit uh, your capital. Just it's so grandiose. Um, and um, so let's let's talk a little bit about some of the the more the, the better known uh, uh, monuments and statues and, and so forth and in the uh, in the film you're given kind of a guided tour by uh, Thomas Horn who's a great friend of this program and um, tell me about the uh, the Washington Monument the obelisk and uh, and and what it actually means we're basically dealing with two obelisks. Most people only know about one of them. Uh, but the, the Washington Monument itself, it stands 555 feet above ground. And the physics involved in that uh, basically goes 111 feet inside the ground. That's, that's what keeps it from falling over. Wait a so minute. What we have- 555 feet high and 111 feet under the ground. All right. You do the math. <laughs> <laughs> six, six, six. <laughs> wow. Okay. Now, it's fascinating because they've also inculcated the magic 666 square into the monument uh, base. What's crazy about this is that it's it's also called an Apollinean square based off of the god Apollo. And uh, the Apollinean square, it's a binding utility, which they believe that it's a spiritual binding utility that you can bind the power and influence – uh, over different spirits, different gods, different powers, uh, if you put them beneath or in the vicinity of this binding square. Now, what's crazy is that you add up any random line of the square, and it's going to give you 111, but it's always going to give you the totality of 666. Uh, it's literally a magic square. And they've got this thing set up to bind Dan Brown's lost symbol. Most people know about the lost symbol, but they don't know what it is. They just they've heard about the lost symbol, but in reality, the lost symbol is a Masonic Bible that has been bound in the testes of the obelisk, the Washington Monument. It's been bound beneath a twelve foot mini obelisk, and it's within the realm of being bound uh, by the Apollinean six 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 square. Now, they believe – oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say when you say the testes because we have to explain that the the, the obelisk is a a phallic symbol that goes back to uh, Isis and trying to resurrect uh, her brother, husband, Osiris. So maybe we just spend a few moments talking about that that legend, that myth. Okay. uh, Do you want to take that, Wes, or do you want me to take the myth? Yeah, okay. Um, So you have this – um, you have, like you were mentioning, you have Isis and you have Osiris, and they were uh, in a relationship together. And you had the evil brother Set, who was conspiring against Osiris, and he conspired with the seventy-two cosmic raiders. And like we were mentioning earlier, that parallels with the uh, the divine council uh, in the Bible. And so, um, 
Oh, uh, Set takes Osiris, chops him into 14 pieces, and tosses him into the Nile River. And apparently some fish got a hold of his phallic member and destroyed it. And so um, when when Isis was looking for Osiris, uh, she was able to find 13 of the 14 pieces, which also parallels with uh, and, you know modern uh, history of the United States and the 13 colonies. Um, but uh, side note, so uh, I, Isis gets the pieces of Osiris, fashions them back together, and is, and is missing his phallic uh, symbol there. So she constructs one of her own, which is the obelisk, which is the, the shaft, if you would. Um, and she fixes it. I'm trying to keep it family oriented here. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> but, um, so she fixes it all back together again. And uh, she performs this ritual, this raising of Osiris ceremony, which is basically calling on the seed of Osiris to be called up from the underworld. Um, and the idea goes is that she's got this ever pregnant belly. And so she passes this down. Um, this was used back in Egypt with all the pharaohs from that point forward. And so they realized, they uh, they looked at it as, well, we're going to do this ritual. And fair, it's called the Festival of Opet. And the as the pharaoh is going down the Nile River, the magicians are doing this ritual, calling up the seed of Osiris to inhabit this pharaoh. And so their idea was that they would be getting divine representation um, deifying the Pharaoh to be able to, to rule Egypt. And that also we find, um, I don't want to give away too much too soon, but we find out that that's also taking place in America, uh, at the inauguration of every U S president. And it's a, it's a recreation of, uh, what took place in Egypt. You had the ever pregnant belly of ISIS, which is the capital dome. And then you have this, <clears throat> This phallic symbol, the um, the obelisk, the Washington Monument, um, you have the the phallic symbol of Osiris, and so that's um, that puts a different spin on uh, on that picture. But the, the thing about this ritual is that it has to be performed with the subject standing between a dome and an obelisk. This is this is part of the official language that has been kept in Freemasonry over the years. And so what's fascinating about this, and you'll see this all over the world. You'll see so many connections in these in these highly occult uh, governing cities. You'll find a dome and an obelisk. You see this in Vatican City. Matter of fact, uh, a friend of ours uh, that, that has a YouTube channel uh, called End Times Productions, he actually did a, a full screen of these different places around the world that do the dome and the obelisk. Like it's this is this is the the formula for the ritual. And what happens is the president-elect goes and stands up to become the president of the United States. He stands up on the stage that they set up out in the mall area, and he's literally standing in the middle of an ancient magical generator. I mean, listen, this sounds like something out of Ghostbusters, okay? Uh, It's so hard to believe, but when you get out there, you see it and you understand it. And guys, I I just – I have to say – the Masons are doing this ritual around the corner in the Herodome at the inauguration of every U.S. president. We have confirmed this on so many levels. They claim to have the identical language and the identical ritual that has been handed down all these years, literally identical to what takes so, place at the, at the Festival of Opet. So while the inauguration is taking place, while the president has his hand on the Bible and is is being sworn in by the chief justice of the Supreme Court on the steps of the Capitol building in sight line with the obelisk, 
the Freemasons in their building, also on the mall, are performing this same ancient Egyptian ritual which seeks to resurrect the spirit of Osiris, which is also Apollo in the Greek pantheon, uh, into, into the president. They believe what it's doing is that it's creating divine representation. Now, the idea is that that president walks up on those steps as a man. But when he walks off of those steps after the ritual, he is divine. He is a god. He is filled with the spirit of Osiris. That is what the Freemasons believe. Now, this is crazy because it's all a preliminary ritual of the final ritual that will take place in a whole other setting. Now we've talked. Now it's still in the same uh, the same category. The, the, there's a ritual chamber that we'll talk about tonight, probably uh, if it's okay. Yes. Uh, and that that ritual chamber is still in the same place, like it's in the same vicinity between a dome and an obelisk. But we're dealing with a, a ritual that takes place right around the corner, and they've got the magic square right there above their altar in the Herodome. We actually show photos and video of this in the film because uh, we were able to go and, and, and take some video and some photos uh, at the Herodome. Uh, we actually have a family member who's a famous 33rd-degree Freemason, uh, big t- major celebrity. We dropped his name when we got there, and we got treated like royalty. Matter of fact, we got blacklisted. They told us we couldn't come in. Um, and uh, oh man, I, I don't even want to get off track here. But if people really, if people have any uh, doubt about how influential the Freemasons are over DC, um, we had our, our location scout getting all of our permits in order. As soon as they, we, we were in touch with the Masons at the lodge because we were trying to get permission to film inside the lodge. Once they saw our website and found out who we were connected with, Tom Horn. They literally blacklisted us, Richard. Uh, nobody – at that point, everybody stopped communicating with us all over D.C. None of the rest of our permits got fulfilled. We only got the permits filled that were filled before we were in touch with the Masons. Once the Masons got involved, they straight up blackballed us. That concludes part one of my two-part conversation with Wes and Justin Fall. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs – I'll be back in a few moments to share a few details about an upcoming episode. Let's say hello to Colleen Forgas, our nutritional therapist and the manager at our Strange Planet Full Script Dispensary. Hello once again, Colleen. How are you doing? Hello, Richard. I'm great. How about you? Truth be told, a little bit of muscle pain. Uh, Mm -hmm. I've started walking and just a little, uh, you know, typical muscle pain. What do we have? My favorite product is called Intenzyme Forte by Biotics Research, and I actually take this one every day. I love it. It's a broad-spectrum proteolytic enzyme. It's designed to reduce inflammation throughout the body. It helps with muscle pain, especially when we've had a little too much exertion. It supports hormone processing, digestion, immune function, and even circulation throughout the body. Fantastic. Intenzyme Forte. All right, Colleen, we'll talk again soon. Take care, Richard. Talk to you soon. To get your Intenzyme Forte, go to strangeplanet.ca, then click on the Full Script Dispensary button. Remember, all orders receive 10% off, and orders of $50 or more ship absolutely free. These products have not been evaluated by the FDA and are not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure. If you have a medical concern, please consult your healthcare provider. Coming up next time on Conspiracy Unlimited, part two of my two-part conversation with the Fall Brothers, discussing the occult and pagan origins of America. 
that third level of the deep state dives into the spirit realm. And so when you look at Bohemian Grove, that's where basically all the walls come down between the secret societies. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>